you know, I think we would have been willing to chalk it up to different worldviews, but <laughs> that night they installed a speaker system and hooked it up to the orgy room. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 239, for the week of February 18th, 2019. I am automobile fodder David T. Cole, and I'm here with Darab Sugar Ninth, Sarah D. Bunting. I agree to be here. Pink Eye <laughs> Patient Zero, Tara Ariano. Is it noticeable? And a touch of salmonella, Molly Lambert. Hello. You know, usually the guests have a little quip there, but she's so sick from the salmonella. <laughs> nice. Welcome to Extra Welcome. Hot Great. <laughs> Joining us for the very first time is a veteran podcaster, Molly Lambert. Hello, Molly. Hi, Molly. Hey Yay! Here to discuss uh, IFC's documentary now, which is returning for its third season. If you're recording, if, if you're listening to this episode the day it came out, it will be on tonight at 11 p.m. Eastern time. Check your local listings. But helpfully, uh, IFC also made the episode available in advance um, on uh, YouTube. So if you don't get IFC for whatever reason or you can't find it, we, we will also have that embedded in our show notes. So the first episode is called Batshit Valley. It's described as uh, their spoof, as all episodes of Documentary Now are uh, spoofs of real documentaries. This one is inspired by Netflix's Wild Wild Country. So it's a story of a cult um, and sort of what went wrong. It's a two-parter, which normally those are their finales, but this year it's the, it's the premiere. Molly, how do you think Documentary Now did tackling Wild Wild Country and also the Source family? Sort of exactly note for note, they did yep. it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so too. Uh, yeah. I was a little, sometimes I forgot which one I was watching. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it was funny to me because I did watch Wild Wild Country and was fascinated by it the whole way through to see like the tiny changes that they made. So like, it's not Salmonella this time. It is Pink Eye. Um, you know, there's, there's more to it than that, of course. Uh, but it still takes place in Oregon. There's still a spiritual leader. Um, Sarah, you are as a, true crime podcaster also had watched wild wild country what did you think of the of this uh take um at first i was like but this is so exactly the same um that i don't but then the little differences started to be apparent and mm -hmm. what i historically like about documentary now is that they um they obviously love the format and the mm -hmm. the styles that they're satirizing so much that the exactitude of everything from like the score to um the way that like film stock is aged to, yep. to look a certain way is extremely exact uh they just have an excellent ear for this stuff so even if this was just like well we're gonna put um owen wilson in a fake beard and just do kind <laughs> of a shot for shot recreation that would have been fine because mm -hmm. it was so, the understanding of it was so felt. Um, and then there's the scene with the, the pumpkin carving <laughs> set too. And it begins to diverge slightly and just be, um, just be kind of its own thing. And then enter um, 
Batman, Special Agent Batman, Michael Keaton. Right. And then they have Connie Chung saying the word butthole. And I was like, <laughs> oh, here, here we are. And then Owen Wilson, guru, gets hit by a car. Yeah, it's just really, it's really good. And I, I think that also they have a really good ear for how much to, like how exactly to um, parrot it mm-hmm. so that you are located in what you're in the sort of source material and then they know exactly when to diverge and do something something else that's funny so it's fascinating for me to watch because i just watch so 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 many documentaries especially (laughs) true crime and it's like (laughs) yeah and it's like uh, okay how like what exactly is the purpose of replicating this? But they really have such a good ear for it that it's it's always entertaining, even if what they're what they're um, satirizing isn't necessarily something that I would care about. It's yeah. that like their uh, skill is amazing. What they do on a technical level is amazing, but paired with actually mimicking properly the cadence and speed of a newscast delivery. Thank you. It is such a rare animal to see in pop culture for them to actually do that correctly and not mm-hmm. screw it up in the service of what they want to say in the story, in the script. <laughs> the chirons aren't quite right. Or newscaster gives too much expositional information that it would not be germane to the actual news item at hand. There's always something off about these kind of things in television and this show gets it right. And when you pair that with their really good, you know, digital manipulation to age the, their, their film, their attention to screen jitter, all this sort of stuff, they got perfectly correct. And uh, I just wanted to give kudos for actually also nailing the newscast part of it. Yeah. That is one of my huge peeves and stuff like this as well. Like the actors that who are playing newscasters are always acting too much, like trying to give the, the characters like way too much personality more so than news reporters actually have molly what do you think uh are we are we at cult coverage saturation point is it impossible to satirize a cult at this point or did you feel that this was like a a worthy entrant into uh the the genre of of uh cult spoofs and and cult documenting it does it does feel a little bit like we are at peak cult although just Last night, I was reading about a different thing that I had never heard of that was about a guru who was sort of like Osho that mm-hmm. culminated in an event called Millennium 73. Have you ever heard of this? I think that's the store for young ladies to get clothes at last three months or so. <laughs> it, was a guru, it was a guru who it culminated in this event in Texas, actually, that was like oh. a big combination, like come see the guru and come to this music festival. And it was kind of a big flop. Uh, and a lot of people were disappointing because they were like, I wonder what. Right. I just I was like while reading about it and thinking, oh, I would love to see a documentary about this. So I don't think I've fully exhausted my my uh, cults and communes thing. Uh, yeah. I will say every time they showed Owen Wilson's face, I laughed. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was really good, especially when he got pink eye. Was- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's not he's not in their usual like company of players. Actually, I did notice this season overall and we'll get into some of the other episodes that I I did miss Bill Hader. I'm sure he is busy with Barry, but um he is not spoiler in any of 
the episodes this season, although he did write at least one that I noticed. So, you know, it's it they're branching out with new people. And I also thought um the actor who played um their version of Ma Sheila was was very funny. She's she from, was great. Yeah. She's from Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. I'm gonna look up her name because I can't remember it. But yeah, she was she was really funny capturing capturing that character who is <laughs> so such a such an indelible personage. Uh yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Although again, I was sort of like this is so exactly replicating that, you know, sometimes I'm just like, wow, would this make any sense if you hadn't seen Wild Wild Country? Well, let's ask Dave because he didn't. <laughs> yeah, I was able to follow <laughs> cult bad and the political machinations inside the cult. It was it was fine. I'm sure I would have appreciated the craft of the script and some of the stuff they did if I've seen them. But I thoroughly enjoyed this. I'll, I'll tell you the moment where I was totally sold on it and I'll play a little clip a little background, there's like the town is at war with a cult that has moved in. And one of the townspeople who owns a, a, a little grocery store puts up a sign <laughs> mocking the cult's thing they do where they ask vegetables permission to eat them. And this kind of leads to kind of a little bit of a civil war in town. And this is a clip where the cult puts in a fake obituary for the mayor of the town. And this is sort of like the end of it. An obituary for the still very alive Mayor Marge Middleton. There was no proof that Ross Sharir did it, but it was definitely in her voice. Today, Marge Middleton lost her long battle with stupidity. She will not be remembered by her friends and family as they are too stupid to do so. S services will be held wherever stupid people are buried. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of the moment where I uh, this this was in my uh, column of documentary now documentaries that I actually find funny as opposed to documentary now documentaries where I can appreciate their craft, but I don't really find them all that entertaining. Um, it kind of for me, documentary now can run a fine line between crafty and like poignant grunter territory sometimes uh -huh. mm -hmm. um i forget if poignant grunter is our term or if we co-opted that from somebody do we need to explain? <laughs> i think i coined it okay his, in his tara times, please but... poignant grunter explain oh just someone who like when something happens they if you're in the theater watching a movie they have to make sure that you hear them going mm. we were we were <laughs> sitting next to a couple of olds when we went to see um what was it called they will not they shall not grow old the peter jackson world war one documentary and they these two boomers were like making sure we knew they had a lot of opinions like you're you're in your 60s you weren't alive then shut up but anyway <laughs> uh, that actress's name apologies for my bad iranian pron pronunciation is nekar zadagan um she was great uh yeah so there are episodes that fall into funny and there are episodes that kind of fall into that other category i think batshit valley was very funny i think some of the other ones of the season like Searching for Mr. Larson, which was their Bill Watterson send up and long gone were kind of like, you know, again, I appreciate the craft, but I didn't really find myself glued to the TV during some of these. For my money, if you're watching this season, Batshit Valley is very funny. I found co-op pretty good, too, which was their. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was so good. <laughs> what was it? Tara Company is the. Yeah, it's yeah. based on it's it's inspired by original cast recording colon company, right. which I had known. I've never seen it. And then the last one. Any given Saturday afternoon, which is like a bowling documentary uh, spoof from a League of Ordinary Gentlemen, 
uh, starring uh, one of the Detroiters, so and uh, and Dexter. So was, um, that one was really good too. The other ones, I just kind of found that I was like, you know, just kind of nodding my head. Yes, yes, I see what they've done there. But I really enjoy the ones that are funny. I, I'm not so hot on the ones that are just well crafted. <laughs> Molly, do you agree? <laughs> I mean, yeah, like they're very well crafted, and I feel like I do the what? What did you call it? Like the emotional grunt, the poignant grunting, the yes. poignant mm-hmm. grunt, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's a part of me that's like, oh, look, they exactly replicated the cinematography of this documentary, but uh, not always laughing necessarily about that. Just kind of like, ah, hmm. Yeah. Good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are some that um, it was mostly the back half of this season that um, like I did admire the craft, but it was like it, then I sort of lost interest in it once I figured out what the craft was designed to imitate or pay homage to mm-hmm. um but co-op was so amazing and mm-hmm. that's what i'm talking about about both loving and sort of having like familial contempt for subject <laughs> matter yeah and totally renee elise goldsberry what a good sport like just making yeah. so many theater faces <laughs> on like the the camera is not like this will not be reflected in the recording but just these like, you know, big eyes, last row faces that, oh God, they were so yeah. good. And it's always nice to see um, Urbaniak. I love that guy. Um, he just looks snarky just sitting mm-hmm. there. Very pleased to see Richard Kind. He's one of my faves in oh, his role. So in, funny. And this one is fantastic. He's so, he's so good. And the songs are so perfect. They're like unbelievably brilliant and how not quite good yeah. they are. In yeah. that in that fake. way, I, yeah, that I just thought Sondheim. it was great. It's yes. such yeah. a hard thing. It's just that I mean, I remember when I was charged at an advertising firm to recreate a bad uh, late '90s website for our campaign, and <laughs> you know what it should look like, but actually, to actually build it while you're a good designer to build it shitty and make it look authentic is really hard. And uh, while I'm at it, kudos to Marvel for kind of pulling it off with their uh, Captain Marvel 90s website for that <laughs> movie. It's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And this yeah. was sort of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I thought co-op was great. It, and for the reason that Sarah said, like, none of the performers are winking about it. Like, they're being, they're being those characters. They're being those actors, like, <laughs> scooped up in the studio for 24 hours recording this album for a show that they find out while they're still there just closed. Um, and Paula Pell as Elaine Stritch was so funny. I mean, it's just like top to bottom. Amazing. I did a little cocaine tonight. Hilarious. And, um, you can also, uh, go on YouTube and look up late night with Seth Meyers because John Mulaney was on last week and he was talking about his process of how they wrote the songs for the episode because he wrote that episode as well as starring in it as fake Sondheim. And um, so they played like a voice memo that he had sent to the songwriter of like a little bit of a, of a snippet of an idea. And he's like covering his face while they play it because it's so embarrassing, <laughs> but it's very endearing. Oh, uh, did we enjoy the send up of the artist is present? With uh, I thought Kate it was Blanchett. great. Yeah, that's the uh, Kate Blanchett is Marina Abramovich. Molly, you saw a bit of that. What did you think? I mean, again, sort of like so similar to the original that, yeah. you know. Part of me is just like, like, I don't know that it like makes me laugh as so much as go like, huh, mm-hmm. look at that. They really on the nose. 
definitely a lot more celebrity cameos in this season yeah. also. Yeah. Because of the lack of Bill Hader. Yep. Uh, so it kind of depends on what episode you get, I think. I did think Kate Blanchett let herself go in that one. I thought that was great. Drinking from milk and just screaming, I am human, or whatever that was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she gave herself permission to be absolutely absurd. And it, and it works in those moments, but it's not the funniest of the the episodes for sure. It's one of those nodders, I think. Yeah, it did go on a little bit long, but just the bullshittily, <laughs> the bullshitty way they talk about uh, the works and it's like, the, you know, these could be profound works or it could just be bullshit. And right. then wasn't one of the talking head interviews, the guy from. Um, well, from uh, Exit Through the Gift Shop? Yeah. Yes. yes. So it's like, uh, OK, so you're in this like Moebius of like what's real and what's horseshit. <laughs> but then at the end, like Kate, Kate Blanchett is having such a good time that you kind of have to go with it and like the line that smiling bucket is what it means to be a woman yeah i had to pause it and because i was like that's ridiculous that's completely spot on as an impression of the original and it it kind of has this like truth to it yeah i wrote that down as well so good so good yeah yeah but yeah the second half with the exception of um tim robinson Mm -hmm. in the last one and the fact that they used um the verb to beef as a synonym for <laughs> farting my people i was kind of like it did sort of tail off at the end and and was a little bit self-conscious and I, like a little armison is plenty of armison for me Agreed. this was yeah uh, this was armison knee at the end in a in a way that i didn't necessarily need but mm -hmm. yeah overall strong season yeah. Good season, definitely worth watching. And and at other than the premiere, at about twenty minutes each, they do not overstay their welcome in general. So I, I, even if they're not all hilarious, I always am glad that I've seen them. I would say. Uh, before we get on to around the dial, first, Tara and Sarah have a message. We do. We have a message from Kate. Two fun occasions are coming up for Kate and her husband Ian: their twenty third wedding anniversary and Ian's birthday. And since they are, as Kate puts it, a geeky twosome in a throuple with TV in there, they wanted us to be a part of their celebration. Kate and mostly Ian wanted to take their love of television outside the house and together have painted a series of show inspired designs on the paving stones in their garden. And last week we tweeted out Kate's video of the path because we've been challenged to a game and you can play along. For each of the stones we can match to the show that inspired it, Kate and Ian are going to donate $5 to Donors Choose to support classroom projects submitted by teachers across the country. A cause very dear to my own heart, as longtime readers and listeners will recall, cough, tomato, costume, cough. Working together as a team, the three of us co-hosts were able to identify 12 of the 13 shows, but maybe you can best us. You can check out the video in the show notes and see whether you, unlike us, knew what number three represents. And by the way, this is not for them to multiply their, their gift. This is just for your fun and interest and in appreciating what fellow TV fans did in their yard. And Kate's main purpose was to honor how smart, supportive, funny, audacious, body, witty, well-read, strong, patient and ding dang fun ian is so with that in mind happy birthday ian happy anniversary ian and kate and thank you thank for you for letting you. us help you make a gift make to, a gift to <laughs> 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 wow 
catastrophe. <laughs> Domer's juice. Hey, why don't Why don't we sweeten sweeten the pot and throw in our uh, ad fee into that uh, donation? What do you think? Love it. All right, we definitely will. Fantastic. time to go around the dial. Our first stop is with Tara. Tara, what have you been watching? Well, uh, Adam McKay, uh, currently in the news because he directed Vice, uh, which is up for Best Picture and other awards at the Oscars, has a new show coming to Amazon this Friday called The Giant Beast That Is the Global Economy. It's hosted by Cal Penn. And it's in this category of uh, the misshapen children of last week tonight. (laughs) would say uh that also includes patriot act with hassan minaj um the samantha b show full frontal on tbs these these shows where they try to do a deep dive on an issue and it's never that the issue isn't worth diving deep on it's that is this the best format for whatever the topic is to be explored and Last week tonight is a show I still watch. I think it's as good as far as it goes. It ha- definitely has a lot of blind spots, which I won't go into for pinko reasons. And the giant beast that is the global economy. <laughs> Although she really wants to, people. She really no, I don't. They, it's usually that they they like get to a point and then they don't go as far as like, well, the issue with cash bail is capitalism. <laughs> like there's not they don't take that final step to like really right. identify whatever the main source problem is. Anyway, so the giant beast, uh, sorry, this giant beast, um, the first episode, which is the only one of the screeners that we watched, is about money laundering. And um, Adam McKay, if as you know, if you've seen the big short or um, the other guys, I think fancies himself like an amateur economist, which is fine. And these are issues that he wants to like delve into so that there's more oversight and more attention paid to white collar crimes, which is extremely laudable. Obviously, I have no problem with that. Yes. As anyone who has seen Step Brothers knows. <laughs> Honestly, more stepbrothers, less vice, like for real. But anyway. I've been saying this a lot that like there's no need for vice because stepbrothers is already the best movie about the 2000s <laughs> and the recession. You know, it's like a perfect movie about the 2000s. I can't disagree. It's yeah, so true. It's, yeah. Anyway, um, so this show is fine. Like they give Cal Penn a million dollars. They fly him to like various exotic locales and have him interview people about stuff like how do you set up a dummy corporation in Cyprus? Like how hard is it? How what would I actually do if, you know, a million dollars of dirty money came to me and I had to clean it? And some of it is, you know, interesting. The the whole thing about like you can buy art and then sell it again is like, I think probably the premise of this new show on evasion called Riviera, but I only watched one because it was kind of boring. <laughs> um, the problem is and the is that all of these shows are hosted by actors or comedians. And so, you know, they're not journalists. So when they sit down and interview these people, like they're not actually trying to hold them to any kind of account or get them to give answers to difficult questions like they're actors. So they're just trying to be charming. Right. So, for example, when Cal Penn sits down with Felix Sater, who is, I believe, a convicted money launderer, and he like makes a joke about how now he has to drink his margaritas out of plastic cups because he stabbed a guy with a margarita glass. Cal Penn's reaction is to like th- literally throw his head back and laugh. And it's like, oh, uh, gross. I mean, also, yikes. <laughs> like, yeah. If only there were um, lots and lots of out of work journalists to do these yeah. kinds of things. Oh, God, exactly. 
So Dave, Dave's point was that it's 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 too inflected also by like the Vice style of TV mm-hmm. infotainment, which is also bad. But like, mm. I think there's a reason that last week tonight does not have John Oliver interviewing people in person very much, and that's why it's because like that's not what he should be doing, and that's not what that's not going to actually shed any light in on any of these topics because you're not a journalist and don't try to be. So my review of this is no. I mean, if you super love those other shows, you'll probably like this one too, but I don't and I didn't. So it was a shrug for me. You got me excited about the idea of a pinko last week tonight though. (laughs) Well, maybe someday, maybe someday we'll get it. Yeah, that could be us. Hey, let's talk offline. And for my plug, I'm going to mention Sarah and I were back on Dave uh, Roth and Jeb Lund, both past guests, their Hallmark Movies podcast, Dave and Jeb Aren't Mean. Yes, there is a third Wedding March movie and a fourth, which we haven't gotten to yet. But this one was about dun, the Wedding dun, March 3, dun. colon, oh. Here Come the Bride. Uh, here Comes the Bride, excuse me. Uh, once again with Josie Bissett and Jack Wagner and many other Canadian actors <laughs> trying not to look cold in fake Vermont, actually Vancouver Island. Um, so we'll link that in the show notes, but check that out. All right, Molly, what have you been watching recently? I have been watching so much Naked and Afraid (laughs) because I just discovered it on real television when I was Mm. uh, at home for the holidays and I'd never seen it before. And then I found out it's been on for 10 years. (laughs) 10 Uh, years? That's crazy. Earth years? That is crazy (laughs) to me. And the first thing I said when I watched it was like, I wonder how long the show was on before somebody died and they had to stop making it. And the answer is nobody has yet, I guess. Or wow. my darker theory is that someone has and they just didn't air that episode and buried <laughs> it. <laughs> um, I love this show. It's like it's always white people with tribal tattoos um, oh. who think they'll be really good at survivalism. And then by like day three, it turns into a Werner Herzog movie where <laughs> like nature destroys them uh it's the best show i love it what is what channel that even airs that discovery well i've been watching it on hulu because they have just all the seasons um it's Uh, a great find it very relaxing also makes you appreciate like having clothes and a blanket and food (laughs) so much i mean i thought i appreciated all those things but i could probably use a you refresher. thought so but then you see people who voluntarily chose to like go into the jungle and survive with nothing and they're covered in bug bites and they're like i'm so unhappy uh and you're like ha 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 that's not me i love it do you have anything you want to plug we'll we'll make sure to plug your social media and your podcast but please please discuss sure i will plug night call my podcast with tess lynch and emily yoshida we just did an episode about Russian Doll last week, which you guys also did an episode about. Yep. Um, and then I have another podcast called Molly's Sleazy Friends. That's <laughs> just me interviewing people one-on-one. Uh, and we'll have an episode out soon about an exciting conspiracy theory about Clint Eastwood's The Mule. Oh, Ooh. shit. Awesome. Sarah D. Bunting. Uh, speaking of conspiracy theories, sort of, um, I have been watching Sneaky Pete from the beginning. I started watching it like two years ago when the first season dropped on Amazon Prime. I meant to get back to it and I just didn't for whatever reason. Uh, the basic premise is that uh, Giovanni Rubisi's con, Marius, gets paroled 
Uh, he needs to hide from Brian Cranston's crime boss, Vince, while uh, he, Marius, is getting the money he owes Vince. <laughs> And basically, he steals his Sally's identity and returns to the family. The actual um, Pete Murphy has not seen in two decades, which is how he's able to get by with this. And a question mark. <laughs> the family has secrets of its own. Uh, they run a bail bonds business because, of course, they do. Um, and it is the family is run by Margot Martindale's Audrey because God loves us and wants us to have good TV. <laughs> um, Sneaky Pete is good TV. It's not great, uh, but it is very winter Sunday bingeable. Um, our own Mark Blankenship wrote it up for Previously.TV when it first premiered. And we'll link to that fact sheet in the show notes. But one of his comments was that this show was originally supposed to be a CBS procedural and um, that 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 you could once you know that you could definitely see it for good or ill. Uh, There is definitely a similar, not super credible, but very energetic atmosphere in the show. Uh, Show running duties were taken over by Justified's Graham Yost after Amazon adopted the show. You have a bunch of Justified alums in the cast uh, the sort of justified energy is also palpable. Here's the show's principal problem for me. Uh, partway through season one, or most of the way through season one at this point. Um, and it's two parts of the same problem. And one is that jo- uh, Yost sometimes tends to let his characters monologue uh, because he has actors who can handle it, Martindale among them. But the writing doesn't always bear up under that. And two, Brian Cranston is an executive producer. So when the dialogue gives Vince, seriously, we timed it an eight minute story that is neither necessary nor particularly flattering to Brian <laughs> Cranston on the accent side of things. That shit should have been chopped down. If those of you who know what came after that monologue uh, will excuse the expression, <laughs> it should have been chopped down to 45 seconds. Uh, but it isn't because Brian Cranston is clearly enjoying himself but the show is definitely at its strongest when it's in Connecticut with the Murphys or flashing back to Marius's pre-penitentiary cons and not when it's letting Cranston uh, be a talking villain all over the set for a third of an episode uh, in the service of torturing a character that like (laughs) the audience doesn't really care about and we're not sure why the characters do either anyway there are some frustrations with the show is what I'm trying to say but Rumor has it that uh, season two features Ricky Jay, so may he rest. I am in, uh, and I'm looking forward to getting caught up on Sneaky Pete by the time season three drops, um, which is later this year. I think actually Ricky Jay's passing may have screwed up their production schedule, so oh. it's going to be a bit later than they thought, but um, that will be a good one to go with Bosch when Bosch is back. Bosh ah. five. Everybody loves Bosch. <laughs> I mean, it's a good show. That's yeah. what I hear. You you talk me into it. Sneaky Pete with like, you know, Ricky J. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is like occasionally like my husband and I just look at each other and we're like, uh, but you know, once once Cranston sort of starts turning the crank on one of these characters' monologues, it's like, all right, do you want some popcorn? No, thanks. <laughs> I'm gonna pee. and then you just like reconvene on the couch and there he's winding up and you didn't miss anything. <laughs> I love you, Brian Cranston. This is not your fault, but they should have cut your cut your monologuing down. Um, for my good. plug, it's, yeah, nice long monologue. You can go. I like that. You go make popcorn. 
Yeah, which is sort of like why, like, we don't need this in the, you know, possible fast forwardable era. But okay, like you're you're doing what you love to do, Brian Cranston, and I'm doing what I love to do, which is to go get more Oreo thins. (laughs) For my plug, I have a true crime podcast. Maybe you heard it's called The Blotter Presents. Um, this week, uh, Kevin Smokler returns to talk about the onion field, both the book and the movie. And in a week or two, I will have an interview with the director of abducted in plain sight. Shit. I frankly don't know where to begin. Honestly. (laughs) I just, it's like dot, dot, dot. So what the fuck? (laughs) I watched this yesterday and like, Mm. I read a lot of tweets and I was not prepared. Yeah, that's what everyone says. Everyone's like, I knew what it was about, but I wasn't prepared. Nope. Yeah, you're just not prepared for um, how much victim blaming you're about to start doing. Oh, I, sh- I shouldn't laugh. And like, don't say be- don't say anything else. Everyone should watch this. It's yes, it's crazy. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, and it if you happen Netflix. to be listening to this on the Wednesday morning that it drops, I still will not have done the interview. So email me, uh, Sarah at previously.tv, if you have questions for the director. Love it. That's it. Uh, we watched a show called, it is called Miracle Workers on TBS, starring Steve Buscemi as God. Yep. What? <laughs> That's yeah. a real show? That's a real show. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Is it a spin? Wait, is it a spinoff of God? Is it God friended me in the God no, friended no. me universe? <laughs> who said he it's friended me? Unrelated. It's based on a book by Simon Rich, who is also a showrunner. Uh, okay. So this is an idea that's been floating around in my head for a while. I think maybe I even like pitched this on the on the podcast at some point or explained it. Mm-hmm. So my sort of adjacent idea was that there is this company. And in this show, it's Heaven Inc. In my show, it was run by sort of a cigarette smoking man from the X-Files guy. And they determine everything that happens on Earth. And in my show, you know, it was basically the office meets that character from X-Files. And this show, Steve Buscemi is God. And God is sort of just really lazy and not involved with humanity anymore. He runs a company called Heaven incorporated that does everything for earth kind of you know behind the scenes in the way the angels have to do daniel radcliffe is one of their miracle workers that sort of gets prayers that are answerable and just finds ways to make them happen such as somebody can't find their gloves so he sits there and you know presses the wind button to blow snowflake off time you know off this glove and then they find the glove yay Interesting premise. Execution was a little bland, I thought, for what they could have done. Tara, you also watched it. Do you do you agree? Yeah, I agree. It was it was very blah. I mean, I I had watched uh, probably the first three or four episodes of Man Seeking Woman, which is Simon Rich's previous show with Jay Baruchel that was on FX X, probably. Um, so when I found out it was him, I was like, oh, that kind of cancels out the coolness of Steve Buscemi in a weird wig being a you know laissez-faire god um but yeah i don't yeah it's fine i don't feel like i need to see more of it the 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 episode ends with um this new eager angel who's working with with um daniel radcliffe's guy in the answered prayers department um decides like because god decides he's good he's sick of earth's shit and he's gonna blow it up 
and dissolve the company and everyone's going to be laid off. And she said, make, makes him a deal, a, a bet that if she can put this one couple together, he will call off his plans. So there are your stakes, um, but it's a limited series. There's only eight episodes, although that's what they always say. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you were like kind of charmed by the first one, there's not probably a ton to watch. It's on TBS Tuesday nights uh, at 1030, I think, Eastern time. Um, but the, uh, the other, the, uh, the sort of meta story that was occurring to me while I was watching it is like, it's interesting how these kind of fantasy shows like the good place is another one have this concept of like divine power as an office, (laughs) like a workplace that's very boring and unsatisfying and uninspiring, but very stable. Uh, someone should write a story about like what this means in <laughs> to do a think piece about why this keeps coming up um, it's because everyone's fantasy is to have a stable job well of course but yes <laughs> that, that this is the only place where this can where we can even see this happen like even the office isn't on anymore <laughs> like we the only place we can conceive of being like a comfortable bureaucrat is in the literal in literally heaven <laughs> you know so it's kind of a bummer way to end this but show is fine it was not great dave would you agree? It's definitely the tagline for, for this review. <laughs> AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! It is time for the canon. A little different this week. Excited to uh, hear it and uh, talk about it. Here we go. The Great British Bake Off is a reality cooking competition wherein the only thing at stake is a cake stand. That is literally the only prize, other than a bouquet the size of a Shetland pony. No money changes hands. No internships are awarded. You are handed a cake stand that, I'm pretty sure, doesn't even have your name engraved on it. And despite this, it is one of the most nail-bitingly suspenseful television shows I have ever watched. Will your biscuits snap? Will Mary Berry declare your pastry to be scrummy? 
Will your bread move Paul Hollywood to give you a handshake that, I can only assume, reeks of aqua velva and pomposity? <laughs> it's also completely charming. There's no backstabbing, no bad-mouthing. Everyone is supportive and encouraging, cheering one another on and comforting each other when disaster strikes. It manages to be both comfortable and refreshing, a rarity on reality shows. Each episode follows the same structure, a signature bake that the bakers get to practice at home beforehand, a technical challenge that's a mystery right up until the bake starts, and finally a showstopper, a long, intricate, hugely difficult take on that week's theme. It's tough to single out an episode as the best, but here we are. Six points that I hope demonstrate why Series 6, or if you want to get all American about it, Season 3, Episode 10, the final, should be in the canon. Point number one, the bakers themselves. Ian, Nadia, and Tamal are three of my favorite bakers across the entire series of The Great British Bake Off. They're all funny, humble, creative, and immensely knowledgeable. Tamal, who has great flavors but struggles with timing, can't quite believe he's here in clip one. I keep wanting to tell people, like strangers, I'm in the final! Yeah, me! <laughs> Who are you? Nadia, meanwhile, <laughs> tends to suck at technical challenges, but is incredibly innovative when it comes to her bakes, and she gives herself a bit of a pep talk in clip two. Now I'm kind of battling myself a little bit, thinking, oh, but I really want to do well, but I really want to win. But I don't want to come second or third, I want to win. And it's just really weird. Come in feeling very strange this morning. Ian, the engineer of the group, seemed to be the one to beat at the beginning of the season, and he's a tad overwhelmed in clip three. I wrote up in my journal, this could be a pivotal moment in my life this weekend. It's like, whoa, 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 that's too big. Don't think about that. It's just another weekend in the tent. Got three things to cook. What's there to worry about? Quite a lot, actually, but never mind. Point number two. The signature bake is truly signature, in that everybody is completely on brand. The bake is iced buns, a.k.a. Paul's very favorite thing. Ian comes up with two interesting flavors, but in what will become a running theme in this episode, he forgets the sugar in one of them, so they end up tasting funny. Tamal makes the apparently very strange decision to use royal icing on his, and while they taste good, he rushes his creme patissiere and can't use it. Nadia, meanwhile, breaks the mold, as well as Paul Hollywood's heart in clip four. I'm doing one shape fingers, and then I'm doing the other one round. Nice. Round? Yeah. Okay. Why shouldn't a bun be round? That's fine. Point number three. Mel and Sue behave themselves. I love Mel and Sue, truly. But sometimes they do a few too many bits. They do have a good one, however, at the start of the technical challenge in clip five. It's one of Paul's recipes. Paul, any pearls of wisdom? No. No. Paul and Mary, your bungee jumper waits. Have a Off great time. Mary, the safety harness is there. Paul, we haven't bothered for you. Very much a single trip. Speaking of the technical, it's meal foy, which, nope, not even once. It just looks like a terrible thing to have to bake. Paul explains that he picked it because all three bakers had trouble during pastry week, which Nadia immediately clocks in clip six. Do you think we're being tested because we did bad pastry? <laughs> it's a possibility. It's a personalized challenge just for us three. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. I think it is. Tamal doesn't grate the butter like he's supposed to in places last. Ian pipes badly and places second. Nadia's looks and tastes pretty good, so she's first. Point number four, the showstopper. Ordinarily, the result of the showstopper seems to dictate who's going to win that week's star baker, and it's obvious from the judging results who's that, who that's going to be most of the time, especially in the final. This time, however, all three bakers bring their A-game, so it's a little less clear. 
The bakers have to make a classic British cake with multiple tiers. Nadia is making a lemon wedding cake decorated with flowers and saris. Ian's making the biggest carrot cake of all time, and Tamal's making a sticky toffee pudding cake, the design of which I'll let him describe in clip seven. The theme was meant to be something old. Like, there were these pictures in the press a few months ago about um, this Thank Chinese you. fishing village that had been abandoned and had been sort of overtaken by all the undergrowth and stuff, and I really liked that idea. So it was, the sponge sugar was meant to represent cobwebs. So let me get this straight. Your classic British cake is based on an ancient, abandoned Chinese fishing village. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> I love you. Again, everyone is very much on brand. Ian makes the wrong amount of mixture for his first batch of cakes, forgets to add the oranges to his second, and leaves the cream cheese for his frosting in the fridge for too long. Seriously, dude, get it together. But still manages to turn out a carrot cake that Paul counts as among the best he's ever eaten. Tamal's sugar work is threatened by the weather, but he pulls it out anyway into something that is both bizonkers looking and oddly beautiful. And Mary loves it. Nadia is constantly shown tearing ass around the tent, but still finds time to make her own damn fondant out of marshmallows, and Paul's over the moon about her cake while still, predictably, finding a way to be a dick. At the outside garden party, we get to check in with some of the past bakers, and we hear their predictions in clip eight. Yeah, uh, I've got a favourite. Nadia. I'd like to see Tamar do it, I think. Yeah, he's 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 a cool guy. Do I actually have to say? My money might be on Ian because he is very different. Who's family in here? No. All right. I think Nadia will win. The bake ends. Everyone finishes on time, though Ian cuts it really close. There's a group hug, and a sense of anticipation falls over the bakers in clip nine. I feel emotional. Even Tamar, he was starting to crack at the end, and he's meant to be the strong one amongst us. I just, um... There was kind of a lot riding on today for me. I have tried so, so hard to get everything perfect. So hard to get everything perfect. I had a tear in my eye as I walked out of the tent, thinking I'm not going to ever do that again. Yeah, I've been through a lot. Put a lot into this. Put a lot on this apron. A bit more to go on it yet. Yeah, and no, I've kind of given it me all. Everyone goes out to the party while Mary and Paul deliberate over the winner. And that winner is my point five in clip 10. Of course, there can only be one single winner. And so with real pleasure, the winner is... Nadia. Really, I would have been happy for any of them, but Nadia made such a journey over the 10 weeks that it's super gratifying to see her win. Her joy is beautiful and infectious. There's a wonderful moment where Mary wipes away Nadia's tears of happiness, and an even more wonderful one where Nadia silently laugh cries while pointing to the cake stand and then to herself in jubilant disbelief. Which brings me to point six, the biggest point of all, Nadia's speech in clip 11. I am never, ever going to put boundaries on myself ever again. I'm never going to say, I can't... She's never been the winner before, has she? She is now, though. She is now. I am never, ever going to put boundaries on myself ever again. I'm never going to say, I can't do it. I'm never going to say, maybe. I'm never going to say, I don't think I can. I can, and I will. <laughs> chokes me up every time. It's so raw and honest and lovely. Even the usually stoic Mary Berry can't quite keep it together in clip 12. 
Over the weeks, she's grown and grown and learned herself that she can do it. And when she came into the final today, she was nervous, but she had the sort of look that I'm going to do it. And she did. Sheer perfection. And I enjoyed every minute. It's a perfect end to a wonderful season. And I hope you'll award it Star Baker. I mean, induct it into the canon. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Erica, for this submission. Molly chose this off our list of user submissions. So, Molly, why don't you go first? What, what, were you, what are your thoughts about this, uh, this episode going into our canon? Oh, I mean, it was nice to watch it again. It is just a lovely episode, sort of a, you know, perfect episode of uh, the British Bake Off uh, to show somebody to be like, this is a great show. Um, it's very soothing and comforting and good people win. Again, this is maybe my idea of heaven is like the British Bake Off tent. <laughs> you know, everyone's so gentle. When people mm-hmm. lose, they never freak out. They're just like, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they never cast like the bad boy of bacons here this, this season. <laughs> That's Paul. No, everybody's so polite. That's what makes it so good. Everyone. It's so unlike a American reality show. Everybody's just like, oh, well, I must not be very good then. <laughs> going home <laughs> Doodle-doo. You know, like they're so <laughs> self-effacing all right well it's so this episode it, but you think it's still a very special entry into a, the the annals of a show that you have loved for sure i mean it's like i you know i fell in love with the show like everybody else it's an episode when mary berry was still on it mm-hmm. um and i think nadia's win was just very like very inspiring i loved her i was rooting for her and people I'm okay. rooting for never win on cooking shows. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah, why don't you go next? Um, this show, here's how in the tank we are in my house for this show, and specifically this season. Um, my husband and I dressed as Mel and Sue for Halloween. Yes. Uh, yes, my husband like happened to have the perfect uh, Sue hair. <laughs> At the time, there there are pictures all uh, on Instagram. I think I can dig them up. Um, and then uh, our friend Jillian got us. Uh, you're able to buy the um, ink drawings that they show between the bakes of the like the artist rendering of oh. what the bakers are going to do. You could buy them from the artist. They're like you know signed originals. So our friend Jillian bought us the artwork of Nadia's um, soda her like pop oh, creation. Yeah. Yep. So that's in our kitchen. Um, bunting was mentioned like weirdly a lot in this episode. <laughs> like, I, I mean, this episode is great. And sometimes if I can't sleep, I will put on old bake-offs that I've seen like a gazillion times before. I've probably seen this episode five times already. Wow. Um, I still cried at the end. Like the, it's just really wonderful. The drama is in the baking and not like a bunch of, Hell's Kitchen-y, Master Chef-y, interpersonal screaming and editing fakery. Um, and here's another thing that I like about it. They just do what needs to be done. And there's not a lot of, like, faffing around. <laughs> like, in the beginning, uh, Sue's voiceover says, in the beginning, there were 12. Now there are three. And then they just go into the opening credits. Like, <laughs> thank you. We don't yeah. have to have, like, the Survivor style like, you know, parade of torches or whatever they call it. Um, It's just so elegantly, understatedly 
done. Um, and it is, you know, I don't mind Prue. I don't mind uh, Nolan Sandy. I think they're just fine. The show can endure with new personnel, but uh, Mary Berry really and her wonderful jackets really were <laughs> an international treasure. And obviously Mel and Sue, uh, I feel the same. And the openness of their emotion that is not cheesy is wonderful. I just think this is a great show. And while on balance to rewatch, I tend to prefer earlier in the season episodes because there's more going on and less like sometimes they have these interstitial like, let's go to the um, Spanish village where such and so pastry was invented. Like fast forward. Don't <laughs> don't don't care unless it's spotted dick so that I can laugh immaturely. <laughs> Um, but this is, I think, uh, like it's a perfect example of what makes the show great. And it was a delight to revisit. Dave Cole. I don't disagree with pretty much anything that Erica said. My problem is this show is so formulaic and, and their formula is really good. That's not a diss that really, I think like every episode gets almost exactly the same grade. Like, you know, yeah. it's like, here's an 89, here's an 88, and here's your 90. I mean, it's, they don't deviate from a formula that works, which is great because it's a fine show. And I I like what they're doing. I like that there's a show out there that is full of good people in a reality show where there's no prize and they help them. They help each other when, you know, they're putting falls on the floor and whatnot. But like, there's nothing in this episode that I couldn't get in any other episode, which makes it hard to like, th then is this canon, like, because the show is such an even keel, do we just say this is the one episode I'll put in the canon in acknowledgement of a reality show that went against the grain and succeeded? Or do we say this is a canon episode or this is not a canon episode because uh, all great British Bake Off episodes are alike? And really, like, all the arguments for this episode, I agree with. I can make those arguments for pretty much any other episode beyond, like, a personal preference for, you know, the winner or a couple of the bakers. But, I mean, they're all nice people. You know, I wouldn't, like, really, except for one person in the ep the season I had to watch every one of for the podcast, that she just, like, immediately went to tears each time. And I was like, all right, come on. Beyond her, <laughs> I'd be happy for anybody to win. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think I, while Tara talks, I will ponder whether, uh, how I want this, uh, canon interpretation to fall. Well, that's very helpful information because this is the first episode of Great British Bake Off I ever watched <laughs> in my life. Um, I did edit this season's coverage by the aforementioned Mark Blankenship and I listened to every episode of the Two Spotted Dicks on the Great British Bake Off, uh, podcast. So I'm familiar with, you know, how the show works. So, you know, none of this was like... Obviously, and I live in the world like I know what the show is. I agree with Erica that the Milfey looks t looked terrible. They did not look fun to watch. Ooh. Even the buns looked like just messy. All of it looked really unpleasant. But I feel like it often looks gross on the show, which doesn't take away from my enjoyment. A lot of my response to Great British Bake Off is like, wow, British pastries are disgusting. <laughs> I do remember that from editing visual aids from the show for sure. And this time, like the the candy striped whatever goes on top, I guess it was fondant. Um, it 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 just looked like plasticine. It, but 
unlike on Nailed It, when they show the model of what you're supposed to be making and you're like, no normal person could or would want to make this insane shark cake like these, at least <laughs> you, you get the sense of like, OK, it's hard, but like a someone who is an amateur baker could figure out how to do it. So I appreciated that part of it in terms of like what they design. And I like that the, that the showstopper was kind of open-ended in terms of like, you know, there were some rubrics, the tears and the whatever, but it was generally, you know, do you do you. And that was sort of fun to see what each of the, you know, what each of the contestants decided to pick to represent themselves. Although I disagree with Erica that Tamal's weird cake was oddly beautiful it looked horrible yeah. it didn't look like food <laughs> it looked disgusting and all to the borrow fl- a british phrase that was a dog's breakfast yeah and t- when he described the flavors it's like dates and fruitcake and it's like sticky oh. toffee like no this I mean, is too i much. love tamal but son no <laughs> yeah i mean it's no. nothing goes together like wet wet dough and crunchy sugar bits <sighs> yeah was like it was just so extra and and I could tell just from even only only watching this one episode like obviously he is a sweetie they're all sweeties like this is not against his creativity and like good for him for having an idea but like wow no mm-hmm. um but uh the 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 whole thing with a garden party is sweet I didn't realize that like their families are there and get to taste the cakes and like that was super cute and all the past contestants coming back in a much less bitchy way than when it happens on project runway the final show (laughs) um and you know i cried when nadia cried and when mary berry wiped her tears i was like i lost it you know so that was adorable (laughs) it was really sweet and mary berry reminds me of my own actual grandma who is also a fantastic Mm -hmm. baker so I had a lot of mixed emotions about this, but I, I sort of I'm leaning towards Dave's point that like if every episode is great, then how like what is it about this one that you veteran people that seem to be leaning? Yes, would say really sets it apart because Erica's case, I have to say, did not 100 percent convince me, but perhaps you could. Um, I think the presence of Mary Berry and Mel and Sue means that it's peak bake off um nadia i think was um an extremely like more than usual beloved winner Mm -hmm. um this was a very solid like close final three um and i don't think there's anything wrong with inducting a show or an episode into the canon that is an exemplar of other mostly just as good episodes because some some episodes of like early bake-off it's it's roof <laughs> like right there's a lot of a lot of tails hanging off so <laughs> I, I don't know i don't okay. i don't i i am not nearly as strict and like small c catholic about the the terms of the canon as, sure. as dave which i don't i don't think he's wrong i just look mm-hmm. at it differently but i do think that this is outstanding television generally and if dave wants to slam the cannon door closed behind it (laughs) for this show that's fine but i do think something from the show should go in and i think this episode is a very good example yeah no i i enjoy the series quite a bit um but that was sort of my stickling point before we just move on to the vote Mm -hmm. i did have actually a few random points i wanted to make uh the outdoor kitchen had had to be like the one evil thing that the producers decided on like they were like all right this show's too <laughs> yeah. good 
we need one thing to sort of screw people up and add a sense of drama without actually being upfront and 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 overt about it. And it had to be the outdoor baking kitchen mm. because there's you know like I baked donuts when I was in high school. That was my high school job, and just like the differences outside in humidity and temperature would totally fuck up a bake. Never mind actually just baking with plastic walls outside in right. Britain. <laughs> right. Like that is Yeah. Forget it. That <laughs> is kind of evil. Um the way I described it um the spun sugar gross nut date cake originally was it really looked like if uh the dog from the thing after it explodes was a cake. It kind of looks like that. <laughs> um, yeah. With raisins. There's, there's some oh. annihilation in that too yeah. as well. In yeah. That, that's that a, that's a more up-to-date reference for sure. Um, and finally, this was Tara observation and I had to double check it later, but man, I don't know what legal problem they had bringing the title great British bake off into, into the States, but the lengths they go to, including having to CGI on top of the original um, cake plate prize. If you watch it closely, you can see there's like a rotoscoped great British baking show logo for PBS. <laughs> and it doesn't quite what move properly with the motion of the scene. Oh, so my kinda... God. I was wondering what that was. Yeah. And we're like, why not leave it? And it goes, well, it's got to be a legal issue. So, but that right. was funny to watch that. It really looked like '90s era, you know, special <laughs> effects in a in the show. Um, all right, when so, you watch it on Netflix, to be to be clear. Oh yes, thank you. Um, all right, so for the purposes, and because I really hate when things get renamed and reseasoned, uh, we are going to refer to this as the Great British Bake Off Series Six Episode Ten Final. Let's put this to our final vote, Molly. What say you? Canon worthy or not? I'm going, yeah. All right. Sarah debunting. I hope we can cram jam this into the canon with our yeah. maths. It's a yes <laughs> for me. All right. I, I There are shows that are an even keel that are sort of like shows I don't enjoy as much as this. I, I would really feel bad if I left a sh uh, this out of the canon just because it was consistently great, you know, piece of <laughs> reality programming. So I'm not saying I'm going to do this all the time. But I think Sarah made a good case that uh, for this, for this, at least this once, that I will put Great British Bake Off into the canon. Um, this will be its representative. Tara. Woo. Well, as I said, it made me cry. So I can't vote against that. So <laughs> I, I will also vote yay. All right. That means. Oops. Nope. That oh. means. <laughs> oh, God. The Great British Bake Off Series 6, Episode 10 Final. You are hereby inducted into the extra hot Great Cannon. Americans love a winner. Yup. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It's time for winner and loser of the week. Sarah has our winner. I do. It's a very uh, meta week in Winterville <laughs> uh, with an honorable mention. The Tara Ariano is our winner because Aaron Sorkin quashed rumors of a revival <laughs> of the newsroom. Thank God. Uh, the real winner is me and our esteemed colleague, John Ramos, because a Golden <laughs> Girls cruise is setting sail in 2020. Uh, it's so soon. Are you going to go? Um, I don't know. Mm. 
Oh, I feel you should. As I said on Slack this morning, you should already be pitching yourself to uh, go and cover its maiden voyage. Well, if someone pays me to write about it, I will for sure go. <laughs> there you go. Is Betty White the only surviving Golden Girl, right? Yes. Right. Yes. All right. So she's going to be smashing that champagne bottle on the side of that one, you know. So She's got to live through this year first. <laughs> Who's our loser of the week? That took a turn. <laughs> I mean, karma for me, I guess. But um, Gremlin? Uh, Weevil. Thank you. Oh, uh, Netflix is. showrunners, they canceled three shows yesterday. The Punisher, Jessica Jones, although in the latter case, there is a third season they already made that will, I mean, air, whatever you call it, stream uh, this year. And Friends from College, the mostly unloved average <laughs> sitcom <laughs> with a really strangely good cast, but kind of very average. Um, the There probably will be an afterlife for all of the Marvel shows because Disney has a streaming service coming and they may revive them in some form. But still, it's it, it feels weird to. Yeah, I know. You know, I read that uh, the, the TV departments and the movie departments don't really gel that well and they're not really hopeful that any of these shows will see another life down the road. Uh-huh. The strategy for Marvel TV moving ahead on that Disney Plus thing is they're doing miniseries on various characters. Like there's a Loki oh, show, okay. sure. limited show and stuff like that. So I think that's the way they're going. So I wouldn't be surprised if these shows are completely and utterly dead in the real world sense of it and not in the comic book world sense of it where they get revived two days later. It is funny to me that these shows that like get peak TV levels of coverage like outlets are recapping every episode and stuff like all of these can't hold on at netflix and yet somehow agents of shield is still on yeah. like it has a new season coming mm-hmm. how well I don't know. because the netflix cancellations are political right they're not ratings based i mean these shows did really well for netflix i mean i don't know about iron fist but basically disney right. started to say you know started making waves that they were going to start competing oh yeah i guess I thought this was just Netflix realizing, like, oh, we're making too much stuff and we got to, like... I don't think so. Cut I th- back. I think it's sour grapes. Mm. Then what about Friends with College? <laughs> that's part of... that's it, It's little known as part of the extended Marvel universe. It's like, <laughs> they're in there with Squirrel Girl and all those guys, the West Coast Adventures. Yeah, it's part... Right. Yeah. Season three, it was like, oh, they're all superheroes. That's yeah. why you've been following these boring people. It's the slowest origin story ever, for sure. <laughs> you know what, though? I wish more origin stories would take place either very far before the person becomes a superhero or like in media stress like they're already a superhero mm-hmm. for a long time yeah careful what you wish for in the former because that's gotham right mm. i i don't actually want any of these things but <laughs> <laughs> that's the right call <laughs> for the people for the people who like things like that we only need one superhero and his name is venom hell yeah Venom hosts the Oscars. All right. Uh, speaking about uh, things that turn people uh, angry, do you know what time it is? <laughs> it's game time. Yay. All right, everybody. This is the fifth game time of the season. To remind you, season score is currently Sarah 2. Tara one value guess one. Today we are playing I am rubber and your glue from our good friend from France, Mademoiselle Caroline, who earns herself an extra credit topic of her choosing. Today's 24 question audio quiz will test your knowledge of TV insults and insulters. 
I'll play you a clip of an insult or outburst, and you tell me the show for one point and the character for an additional point. I will provide no hints and let it be known that some audio has been redacted. Characters, names, and stuff like that once in a while. Sure. Um, I'm not going to say anything about France and insults, so let's move on. Steel Mill situation, <laughs> please, Tara. All right. Sarah Debunting has two Steel Meals. I have one. Okay. Value guess still with none, correct? Correct. Okay. So let's throw it to Picky to see who is going to go first. We will start with valued guest. All right. Molly's going first. Then we'll go to Tara and Sarah. Are we ready to play? I'm rubber and you're glue. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. All right, Molly, I'm going to play you a clip. At the end of the clip, you tell me the show. And for an additional point, you tell me the character who is doing the insulting or uh, the outbursting. Here we go. We must beat them back if they're going to take this city. Your king's city. Fuck the king's guard. Fuck the city. Fuck the king. All right. Who's that angry guy? Uh, shows he that from? sounds like somebody from the show, a little show I do not watch called Game of Thrones. I'm going to give you a point for that. Hell nice. yeah. I can you- recognize the bad dialogue. Yep. <laughs> uh, Thank you. I don't know. I don't know who it was. I'm going to go uh, Tyrion. Uh, that's a good guess. I think we did hear him, but he's not the one we're looking for. We wanted the hound. If you knew that I, if you knew how much I don't know about this show, it is amazing <laughs> that I even got this far. I appreciate that. I have a lot of troubles with names on Game of Thrones, uh, and I watch the show. I'm going to give you three day points. Hey, hey, You're all right. for absolutely nothing right now, but someday <laughs> down the line, people will thank you for it. Tutara, yes, sir. Front stand in that fucking corner. Stand over there, right? And do not move, or I will perform a fucking living fucking autopsy on you with a fucking rusty speed, and I'll have your kidneys for fucking covering. Oh, my heart. That's the thick of it, and the character is Malcolm Tucker. That is good for two points. To Sarah D. Bunting. Go fork yourself, you mean giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> you mean giraffe. Um, that is the good place, Eleanor Shellstrop. That is correct for two points. Okay, back to Molly. You're like the League of Nations in 36, just hoping the Abyssinian crisis resolves itself. That's the lesson you draw from the fall of Addis Ababa? You sound so naive. And you sound just like Victor Emmanuel III. <laughs> What's that show? Who's that character, Molly? Is that Frasier? It is not. uh, So you're probably not going to get the character. Definitely not. All right. That was Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Do you see how I could have confused it for Frasier? As soon as you said it, I'm like, that timber. Yep. It's very Frasierian. It's very Frasierian. And (laughs) we ought to know we're Frasierian. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, to bring up an arcane war seems very Frasierian. <laughs> yep. Uh, Tutar. He swallowed a magnet. We got to cut it out. How old are you? Eight. And he swallowed something stuck to a fridge. Darwin says let him die. That's House of House. House of House. House of House House. <clears throat> Sarah D. Bunting. Why are you the way that you are? 
honestly, every time I try to do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. <laughs> Is that the office? Is it? Yes. I don't know. Okay, then is that Michael Scott? Please. You are correct, and you have two points. Well done. All right, Molly, here we go. What was that? It's called the medium sketch. The medium sketch? Yeah, it wasn't rare, and it certainly wasn't well done. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Muppet Show? Statler and Waldorf. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Two the, ori- gorgeous. Well the original podcaster. <laughs> <Yes>. True. <laughs> Boy, do they have a man? Why don't they have a podcast? They should, they right? Should. They should. They probably do. We just like we're out of it. Tara, <laughs> it's this. It's this, you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a kind of torture. <laughs> I have to listen to a shot great. <laughs> Tara, this clip the audio is not so great. So if you want to hear it twice, I will certainly oblige. Okay. He must be so intelligent that he does not suspect us of being intelligent at all. Absolutely. And there you would be invaluable, mon ami. Mm, I don't think hearing it again is going to help. I do not know what that is. No clue? No. That is Perot from Agatha Christie's oh. Perot. Being sure. French bitch. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Belgian. <laughs> Uh, this is for who is this for? Me, Sarah yes, DeBenzi. Thank you. I'm gonna need some answers and fast, otherwise, you and I are gonna turn on the hot lights, do the Lindsay hop, and see who cracks first. Now you're trying to seduce me. I never thought I would make this sound in my lifetime, but who? I think this is gonna be tough for anybody on this panel. I don't think anybody watches this show. Certainly, have um, talked about it. On the podcast before, though. Can I hear the clip again, please? Sure can. I'm going to need some answers and fast. Otherwise, you and I are going to turn on the hot lights, do the Lindsay hop, and see who cracks first. Now you're trying to seduce me. I never thought I would make this sound in my lifetime, but who? Oh, my God. I, uh, I, I'm going to be hop? so... Yeah, that's annoying me also. And it's annoying me that I know that actor's voice, but I don't mm-hmm. have enough time to come up with a guess. So, Benson of Benson. Mm. That's Lassiter on Psych. Lassiter on Psych. Okay. Were you circling around that at be. all? In your brain? No. 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 Okay. Don't have to feel bad. Back to mm-hmm. Molly. I'm ashamed God made me a man. I don't think God's doing a lot of bragging about it either. <laughs> Uh, Carla on Cheers? Carla on Cheers, two points. Yeah, wow. This is fun. To Tara. (laughs) Yes. Tell me you're wearing that cheap, tacky dress to meet my oldest friend. I would be caught dead in that dress. You'd have to be dead six months to fit into it. (laughs) Oh, can you play it again? Tell me you're wearing that cheap, tacky dress to meet Oldest friend? I would be caught dead in that dress. You'd have to be dead six months to fit into it. <sighs> Is that the nanny? Oh! oh. Okay. Nice. It's the butler, but I don't know his name. I don't know his name. 
You are correct. It is a butler. The butler's name is Niles. Niles on the oh, nanny. Oh, oh. The other Niles. He pulled one point. That's pretty fucking impressive for that clip. That was amazing. <laughs> well done. Thank All right, you. Sarah debunting. Last question before our score break. And Ray, if you come in here again dressed like a maths teacher, I will paint your balls the color of hazelnuts and inform a bag of squirrels that winter's coming. <laughs> this is another tough I, one. Yeah. Shit. Let me play that clip uh, for you again. Yeah, if you don't mind. And Ray, if you come in here again dressed like a maths teacher, I will paint your balls the color of hazelnuts. And inform a bag of squirrels that winter's coming. Any guess? Uh, the Ruddles? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that was a tough one. That was Gene from Life on Mars. I think you needed oh, to watch yeah. it to get it. That wasn't going to be okay. a uh, yeah. pop culture osmosis answer yeah. for sure. All right, back to Molly. Oh, wait, score break. Let's hear the scores, please. Tara Ariano. Very close game. Molly and I are tied with five points each. Sarah has four. Ooh, all right. Back to the game. This one's for Molly. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about what, like Lucifer didn't worry? Or Michael? Or Lilith? Or Alistair? Or Azazel didn't worry? Am I the only game piece on the board who doesn't underestimate those denim rap nightmares? Oh, God, I have no idea what that is. Anybody? No? I'm not going to steal meal it, but is it American Gods? No, it's not. That's a fine guess. It is definitely... That was my going to be my guess. Oh, you should have guessed. No, no penalty for guessing, but that was Crawley on Supernatural. Mm, Sarah got so. You got to remember who wrote this game. You're right. <laughs> Caroline. Yeah, know your author. All right, to Tara Ariana. In response to the bestiality rumors circulating about you, I've decided to forego calling you by the usual girl's name, and instead I'm going to be referring to you by whatever famous dog I can think of. I've gone with Lassie because, of course, that satisfies the criteria of being both a girl and a dog's name, thus helping you ease into the transition. That is Dr. Cox on Scrubs. Correct. All right. To Sarah D. Bunting. This birthday thing kind of has me depressed as well. You think you could help me too? Sure. No matter how bad things get, remember these sage words. You're old, you're sad, get over it. (laughs) So what if you knew Jesus personally? (laughs) Wake up and smell the coffee, you fossil. My mistake. I thought since you looked like Yoda, you were also wise. All right, given and taking. So you got two possible answers for the character. What's the show? And I think you know both, but here we go. Uh, sp- yes. Speaking of the devils, uh, that's the Golden Girls, uh, Blanche and Sophia. Correct. Two points. Picky shines on you. Back to Molly. Everybody's got three questions left. Hey, what's next on your fascinating list of talking points? Uh. What's your major? Seriously? You've got one minute to make an impression, and that's all you can come up with? You want to know my sign, too, Jack? Or how about my favorite color? Or if I'm a Brittany or a Christina? Here, I'll ask you a question. Was the last time you had an interesting thought when you considered flinging yourself off a building? Bye, Jack. Man, I don't know my... 
Dawson's Creek? That's my guess. Well, mm, that's a decent guess. It's contemporary, kind of a bit. Ooh, um, uh, anybody? That's Gilmore Girls. Gilmore, yeah, that was Paris Ooh. from Gilmore Girls. I I could feel the WB. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Your instincts were correct. Tutar area. I could area. feel the Mich- Michigan J Frog. <laughs> <laughs> tragedy happened in your life that you insist upon punishing yourself with all this mediocrity what because i'm eating a turkey sub your turkey sub your clothes the fact that a woman of your resources and position lives like some boxcar hobo or maybe it's the fact that (laughs) while i'm saying all this you have a piece of lettuce stuck in your hair oh that is 30 rock jack donaghy correct all right sarah debunting are you ready i don't know the eyes are open, the mouth moves, but Mr. Brain has long since departed. <laughs> uh, can I hear it again? The eyes are open, the mouth moves, but Mr. Brain has long since departed. Mm, sweet and vicious? I don't know. Vicious? No, sorry, wrong button. Oh, bad on me. Incorrect. That was Tari, but you know it. Yeah, that's Blackadder. Blackadder, correct. Okay, everybody's got two left, starting with Molly. Thank you, thank you. That thing was going to kill me. Well, what do you expect? Out alone in this neighborhood? I got half a mind to kill you myself, you half-wit. What? I mean, honestly, what kind of retard wears heels like that in a dark alley? Take two steps, break your bloody ankle. I was just trying to get home. Don't get a cab, you moron. And on the way, if a stranger offers you candy, don't get in the van. All right, so two good clues there. We got that accent, but we also have a position on the timeline where people would say retard on TV. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I know what that is. Uh, Something British. Something British. Something British. Somebody British on the show, but not something from Britain. That was... Spike on Angel. Spike on Angel. Wow, Spike said that on Angel? Yeah. That is surprising. Yeah, different time way back a few years ago. I feel like we also already knew that was bad then. Maybe. Probably. But Spike was bad. Yeah, he's a bad boy. You're finished. You've lost everything. And I now own this house. This house? Are you insane? Oh, no. Perfectly sane. So take this junk and your blonde tramp and get out of my home. Uh, Dynasty? Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay, well, that's probably Alexis Carrington. You are correct. Nice pull. Two points to Sarah D. Bunting. Listen, as much as I'd love to stay here sweating with the oldies, I'm getting a little woozy from the boozies seeping from your enlarged pores. <laughs> oh, honey, they're not enlarged. They're just in shock over that hair color. <laughs> uh, Will and Grace, and that is Karen. Aaron, correct. Two points. Okay. Everybody has one question left, so let's get the scores here near the end. Okay. Molly has five. Sarah has eight. I have 11. Okay. Here we go. Everybody's last question coming at you, starting with Molly. 
Here you go. Okay, your basic spells are usually only about 50-50. Oh, yeah? Well, so's your face! I'm going charmed, I guess. Mm, so close. Dawson's Creek? No. Further away okay. now. That was Willow from Buffy. Oh, from again. Buffy. Yeah. Close, but you're getting not... all the you're all getting all the weeding shows, unfortunately. That's picky yeah, for you. Yeah. Uh Tutara, your last clip here. You prank call Mandy? What if I did? Well, I want to congratulate you. Shake your hands. Congratulations. You've been named the world's biggest cockroach. This award is given in recognition of your unparalleled lack of decency and humanity. Bravo. You're going to die friendless and alone. I don't know. I got nothing. Steel meal. Steel meal. Oh. That's Veronica Mars on Veronica Mars. Ah! Both points stolen. That makes it very interesting. That puts you within one point, correct? That's yes. correct. All right. Here's the last question. One point to tie. Two points for the late game steal. Very interesting. Here we go. Here's your flip, Sarah D. Bunting. I'm going to go out on a limb here. You've never been employee of the month, have you? That's right. But if I were you, I wouldn't be going out on any limbs. <laughs> Do you like to hear that clip again? This very important endgame clip? I, I would like to hear that clip again, if I may. I'm going to go out on a limb here. You've never been employee of the month, have you? That's right. But if I were you, I wouldn't be going out on any limbs. <laughs> is it married with children? Is it? It is. Yeah. Character name for the win. Is that Mr. L. Bundy? You are correct. Once again, Sarah D. Bunting with the late game victory. Well done. And that's how you use your steel mills, folks. Thank you, Mr. L. Bundy. (laughs) Said no one. All right, everybody. (laughs) That is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We joined Documentary Now for the third season of Everlasting Bliss before traveling the astral plane of the dial with stops at the giant beast that is the global economy, Naked and Afraid, Sneaky Pete's, and Miracle Workers. The proofing was in the pudding for Erica's canon recipe for (laughs) Great British Bake Off. We crowned winners and losers of the week, and Sarah was the winner of this week's insulting game time. Remember, we're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano, beware of soggy bottoms. Sarah D. Bunting, somebody beefed over here, <laughs> and Molly Lambert. I'd uh, make your buns be good. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time right Yay. here on Extra Hot Great. Here in our co-op. Whose package is this? Something from <laughs> overnight insulin emergency providers? Going once, twice, nope. Okay, garbage time. Bye-bye, box.